start where do we begin there's so many takeaways to take away we're gonna take these takeaways up into the sky and they're gonna explode like fireworks it's a beautiful thing shooting stars Leonard Fournette is back not quite dance party level but close close the only dance parties this year on the Roto Underworld Radio podfather programming Reserved for one Leonard Fournette. We will give him a sounder. Oh, we'll give him a breakout sounder. His second breakout game. Another breakout game. There's a funny thing about Leonard Fournette. When he's healthy, he produces. In Jacksonville, every season. He was healthy, produced. In Tampa, healthy, producing. And uh, better than Ronald Jones. So, week seven, Ronald Jones. Fewer snaps. Fewer routes. Only two targets. See, see, only two. See the two targets. See, yes, I know he got a goal line carry. Good job, right? Oh, he scored a touchdown. Way to go, buddy! You salvaged your day. Ten point six fantasy points. Big deal. Meanwhile, two point six yards per touch for damn it, Ronald Jones. Meanwhile, Leonard Fournette, fifteen point seven fantasy points and five point seven yards per touch. And that's because he's much more active in the passing game. 21 routes, 7 targets. And not only does a healthy Leonard Fournette producing each and every week validate drafting Leonard Fournette in the 3rd and 4th round with robust RB, but I would also point you to the 2-touchdown performance from James Robinson. So if Leonard Fournette were in Jacksonville, he would be in the James Robinson role where he's top three in the NFL in running back opportunity share, and he's number two in fantasy points behind only Alvin Kamara. James Robinson has been exceptional this year, and Nate Liss was trading him. I was even open to trading him very early in a sell-high situation, right? The buzzards on Twitter, you you were uh, trading uh, James Robinson. Still am. Still am open for business if anyone wants to overpay for James Robinson. I didn't say sell low on James Robinson. I said sell high. If someone wants to pay young RB1 pricing on James Robinson, listen. Listen to them. Is Cam Akers on the table? I'm listening. Is DeAndre Swift on the table? Not anymore, but then I was listening. J.K. Dobbins, listening in Dynasty. Of course you're listening. You're always listening. But this year, it's the James Robinson show. James Robinson is for real. Now, I know there's worries about Raquel Armstead and uh, Divine Zigbo. And I get it, man. They were all heavily involved in training camp, pulling Leonard Fournette off the field, especially in the red zone. In comes Zigbo. In comes James Robinson. These guys are all undrafted. They all have feature back size and above average athleticism. What's to stop a Zigbo from cannibalizing touches from James Robinson. I don't know. I don't know what these NFL teams are going to do, but now we know. Now we know because a Zigbo was active and he commanded exactly zero snaps, zero routes, zero targets, zero touches, zero fantasy points. It was just zeros. Divine a zero bow. <laughs> the O is for zero in a Zigbo. Goodbye. Hello, James Robinson. Hello! (laughs) This is what we want. 
We want day three running backs to hit because you know that gives me ammunition in my next debate with Nate List because he's immediately dismissing everyone that wasn't an early-round draft pick, whether it's Travis Fulham or it's James Robinson, Aaron Jones once upon a time, Chase Edmonds. Oh, Chase Edmonds. We'll talk about him in a minute. I don't even know what observation I'm on now. When we take away three, what are we on? Take away three, right? We had the, the first takeaway was Fournette is better than Ronald Jones. I wasn't even on Ronald Jones, dude. And that's been established yet again. And the ascendance of James Robinson helps to reinforce that it was good process all around on Leonard Fournette this offseason. I don't know if that's one takeaway, two takeaway. I can't keep up with the ta- I, I don't have a takeaway counter. I need to have a live takeaway counter. Just ding, ding, ding. Also in this Bucks game, you noticed uh, little Scotty Miller. Little Scotty Miller. Go over, over 100 yards, right? But you have to pour one out because Scott Miller erupts. And it looks like the Buccaneers have found their John Brown. I mean, I know you can imagine, right? You can imagine Bruce Arians scouring the earth for the next John Brown. Then he finds him in Scott Miller. He's like, listen, Scott Miller is going to play on the outside. He's going to stretch the field. And if they give it to us, if they don't play the safety over the top, we're going to force the safeties to move up because we're going to play both Godwin and Evans in the slot. Godwin and Evans both commanded 25 slot snaps. Think, think about that. Think about that, that Evans and Godwin were both in the slot. There were some four receiver sets, but they were alternating slot snaps show great creativity by Bruce Arians to finally at long last play Mike Evans in the slot. I've wanted to see it. The biggest of the big slot guys, you run Mike Evans to the perimeter from the slot. So you run an out and up with Mike Evans on the perimeter starting in the slot. It's indefensible. It's it, it, it's great. And then you just post up Scott Miller on the other side. He stretches the field and you play Godwin's and Evans together. You play Godwin out at flanker, move Evans into the slot, and you have Scott Miller as a stretch X. He's playing stretch Z, stretch X. He's flip-flopping. He's all over the field. I love it. They were just moving pieces all around the field. So creative in Tampa. And I have to think that it's not just Bruce Arians. You have to think that Bruce Arians is assisted by the coach on the field that is Tom Brady. You have to think, and we'll talk about Tom Brady a little bit more in a little bit, but I give as much credit to Brady for the creativity we're seeing as I do Arians. And now in steps Antonio Brown. So it's a shame. It's a shame that the arrival of Antonio Brown will relegate poor Scott Miller right after he breaks out all over the place. Boom. You're back on the bench. You'll be getting five snaps a game, Scotty. And my worry is that because Antonio Brown is in his 30s, He can't stretch the field on the outside like Scott Miller, so they're going to play more Godwin and Brown in the slot, and we'll have this one shining example, this one game where we had Mike Evans, because Mike Evans performed better than the box score looked, right? He had two catches in the box score, but he had a long pass interference called, so he was drawing a P.I. call and making some clutch catches, so this Mike Evans in the slot, it could be a beautiful thing, Let's just wait and see what happens, how they use Antonio Brown. But it's just, it's interesting to note. We finally got to see some Mike Evans in the slot, his production underwhelmed, but this is why I'm here to go beyond the box score. And it's a trend. If this trend continues with Antonio Brown, 
active, then I'll be buying Mike Evans because his value continues to get depressed, especially in Dynasty. He's past the age apex. He's underwhelming in the box score. Oh, oh no! Mike Evans is done! Is he dust? No, he's not dust. But we do have some new, exciting running backs to talk about. Some newly minted primary backs. First and foremost, DeAndre Swift! Now, he has been breaking out every week, but this week was different in that he actually commanded a significant snap share above 50%. And that is noteworthy. That is Because that hasn't happened yet, right? That is He's not yet had a snap share above 50% or an opportunity share above 50%, but now you're seeing it. Now you're seeing... DeAndre Swift, the opportunity share and snap share now above 50%. So once you reach above that 50% threshold, you're officially the primary back. He is officially and without question the primary back. And yet another RB2 performance. He's had a string of RB2 performances as well as the RB1 performance going over 25 fantasy points last week. And heading into week eight, Swift is on the main slate, 5.3K. We're going to be heavily exposed to DeAndre Swift in week eight, as we were in week seven. Look out for that. And you love, you love, you love, you love to see a DeAndre Swift getting another three red zone touches in spite of Adrian Peterson being on the roster. You would think, oh, Peterson's at least going to get the red zone touches. Not so fast. Not so, Another three red zone touches. That's the most important stat. I always include the red zone touches when I tweet about DeAndre Swift at fantasy underscore mansion because that to me is huge because even when miles sanders was starting to emerge in philadelphia it was still oh jordan howard on the goal line no 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 no. swift is supercharging the miles sanders career arc so when this was the miles sanders career trajectory this is deandre swift (laughs) It's, it's exciting it's exciting it's not just swift it's joshua kelly look at joshua kelly's usage last week vis-a-vis Justin Jackson. So Kelly, 35 snaps, Jackson, 30. Kelly actually ran almost the same number of routes, even though Justin Jackson is the satellite back. There's a satellite back plus. Now, Kelly, five targets. So 15 routes, five targets. Think about that. He It's a 33% target rate for Joshua Kelly. That is incredibly encouraging. The 17 touches dwarf the 10 touches from Justin Jackson. So it's clear. When you look at the fantasy points, the usage, everything suggests this is the Joshua Kelly backfield. And don't forget, Austin Eckler still on the IR. It was a severe hamstring injury. One of the most severe hamstring injuries in the history of the NFL. I don't know that, but I've rarely heard a hamstring injury so often referred to as serious as in the case of Austin Eckler. And look at the salary, Joshua Kelly. 4.9K. You're going to see some Joshua Kelly in the lineup genius in week eight. Chase Edmonds, right? Chase Edmonds! Chase Edmonds is happening! He was an RB1. He's an RB1 in week seven. And Kenyon Drake is a warrior, but I don't expect Kenyon Drake to play. And it's going to be the Chase Edmonds show. And that's exciting. Now, I don't know who exactly the Cardinals are facing. Let's take a look together. We're going to take a look together. We're going to find out together who the Cardinals are facing. They are facing a stout defense in week eight called bye. 
<laughs> right? It's impossible for Chase Edmonds to score any fantasy points against bye, which is a bummer, right? So he's not only not on the slate, he's not playing. So it's going to be impossible for Chase Edmonds to score fantasy points against the most ferocious defense for fantasy football, bye. Bye week is, is undefeated. In week nine, coming out of a bye, Kenyon Drake was carted off. Anytime a player is carted off, you have to think it's a multi-week injury. So I'm we're just firing up Chase Edmonds. We're already getting excited, looking forward to Chase Edmonds in week nine. He's an all-purpose back, but he went to Fordham, and Nate Liss hates him. So we want a, a massive eruption from Chase Edmonds. We want James Robinson to continue to break out. We want Aaron Jones to be a top back. We just want to pile on all these day three and undrafted running backs to just hammer Nate Liss over the head. Just just like a tack hammer. Just tap, 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 tap. That's the number one reason. Not only do we have Edmonds everywhere, Scott Fishbowl, Dynasty everywhere, right? But the wins and losses in fantasy football are secondary to the wins on the debate stage against Nate Liss. Oh, he's going to have to eat it. I want Nate Liss to eat Chase Edmonds. And tell me how Chase Edmonds tastes in your mouth, Nate. I want to ask him that question. Please, Kenyon Drake, take a few weeks off, man. Get, get better. We want you to heal up, buddy. And we have a new primary back in New York. Now, the Jets can't sustain drives, can't score points, can't do anything. So... It's the most underwhelming primary back ascension that you could ever imagine. And that's the Bobcast founder, right? The originator of the Bobcast won LaMichael Pirine. 33 snaps. He did run 11 routes. He did command three targets. So 13 total touches, three in the red zone. When they did get into the red zone, it was all Pirine, no gore. And he did get the 13.5 fantasy points. And his salary is only 4.3K in week eight on DraftKings. You could do worse. And there's no way this team gets any worse. So I think that there's nowhere to go but up for the Jets. I think that the offensive line could start to find some cohesion and that somehow, some way, Adam Gase will drop a game plan that's not completely incompetent. And perhaps Sam Darnold's shoulder heals more fully in the next week. And the Jets can score some points. I have confidence that the Jets will score points one of these weeks. And that means LaMichael P. Ryan will be a threat to be one of the top values in all of fantasy football. And don't forget about Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims, he ran a route on 90% of Darnold's dropbacks, including 10 in the slot. And though Darnold <laughs> threw the ball only a handful of times because they could not sustain drives, seven targets. And a 10.5 yards per reception for Denzel Mims. Salary's only 3.2K on DraftKings heading into week eight. I, I like him. I like him as a Hail Mary play. I like him on the outside. It's going to be Berrios and Crowder inside. We're not expecting Perriman to play after he left with a concussion. You take a huge hit like Perriman did at the end of that game. Most likely not going to play in week eight. That means it's going to be all Mims on the outside because then you have two slot receivers left in Berrios and Crowder, it might mean that they move Crowder inside and that you'll see more Jeff Smith than Braxton Berrios. I don't know. I don't care. It's going to be the Crowder and Mim show. And I'm going to continue to just throw little little darts, just little mini darts, a little sprinkle of a Mims and a Crowder 
in DFS. It, it, they it, the Jets can't be this bad forever because they'll be the worst offensive team since the merger if this continues. I don't know if that's true. It just sounded good. Some older receivers that were thought to be dust are actually not. Right, Ashes to ashes. Dust to... Woo, not so fast. Not so fast on A.J. Green. Thought he was dead. We had a fantasy funeral for A.J. Green. Not so fast. And Nelson Aguilar. Not so fast. Look at what these guys are doing. Suddenly, A.J. Green is not only leading the league in unrealized air yards, as he has all season, but he's actually starting to catch some of these passes. Some of this air. He's starting to catch some air, bro! A.J. Green catches some air, bro! He's the starter, man. On the outside, it's all Higgins and Green and Boyd in the slot. Higgins and Green are running more routes and have a higher snap share than Boyd. 92% snap share, 39 routes a game the last two weeks. 12 targets a game the last two weeks. And 135 air yards per game in week six and week seven for A.J. Green. But, but, but he hasn't been a monster fantasy producer. Just 16.4 fantasy points per game. And his salary heading into week eight on DraftKings, incredibly, I mean, as attractive as you can get. 4.5K for a guy who's in the top five of the NFL in air yards, and his salary is 4.5K, and he's actually produced a high catch rate in the last two weeks. Something the something happened. Something, I don't know. I, I don't know. The switch was flipped somewhere deep inside A.J. Green. Just like the switch was flipped on Nelson Aguilar. Right? Nelson Aguilar, look at the air yards, right? 141 air yards for Nelson Aguilar in week seven. Great, great job. Great job. He was this week's Brashad Perriman. Waller, Renfro, and Ruggs combined for 118 air yards. So Aguilar dwarfed all of them combined. Just looking at the target depth. Woo! I don't know what to do with that, right? But this is a guy you have to take seriously. The starting lineup has now established in Oakland or Las Vegas now. It is Aguilar and Ruggs on the outside, and it's Renfro inside. But it's Aguilar that's commanding more snaps, running more routes. He's operating as the number one. It's 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 what's happening. I'm just it's happening. It's it's what's happening. I can't believe it, but it's happening. They're not giving Ruggs a full snap share, and they're not giving Renfro a full snap share. They trust Aguilar. You know, they're throwing some Zay Jones in there. But Aguilar is operating as the number one. A.J. Green's operating as the number one. And these guys are inexpensive cash game plays in DFS if you want to move up at running back. Now, week seven was not the week to move up at running back, right? You could just play Camara and then move down. We had free squares. And you need to trust the veteran free square running backs if they're competent receivers. That's the minimum requirement, right? I'm not as interested in the free square veteran grinder backs right oh I'm running between the tackles great 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 but that's not jamal williams jamal williams had an eight target game in week five so we knew that jamal williams commands targets in the passing game he's, he's damn near a target magnet splitting snaps and backfield routes with aaron jones you know the last four years jamal williams and this will blow your mind jamal williams i mean I hope you're sitting down for this. Jamal Williams has 18 four-target games. This is, again, in a specialist backfield, not operating as a bell cow, just taking advantage of sometimes 30% snap share. Still, 18 
for target performances. When a guy like that opens up and Aaron Jones is inactive, you just press the play button. You get maximum exposure on that guy. Same with Giovanni Bernard. Giovanni Bernard, uh, 90% opportunity share, right? His opportunity share was even higher than Jamal Williams in week seven. You don't doubt it. You can move down to a Bernard and a Jamal Williams. In week seven, it made sense to move down. You saw a lot of our lineups, especially in cash, we were moving down to Bernard, moving down to Jamal Williams. Why? Because we wanted to move up to Devontae Adams, move up to DeAndre Hopkins, move up to Julio Jones. The stud receivers were in super smash spots. So it did make sense that we had the premium alpha receivers on the slate in smash spots. So in that particular scenario, you get creative in cash, in tournaments, and you play more wide receivers and flex and move down aggressively at running back, where you're essentially just playing Camara with Bernard and Williams. That was the move. Then you could move up all the way up to Hopkins and Adams and Julio in some cases, depending on how you wanted to configure it. Maybe move down from Camara to Hunt. These were the possibilities that made the most money in week seven. I don't know what observation this is. I'm taking one observation on this sand, another takeaway over here, taking an observation takeaway, blending them together. Wait, this take becomes this. So it's like I plant the seed of an observation and then it becomes three different takeaways. Like, how is this possible? Like, it just, we're just takeaways just sprouting up. I can't keep track of them. What number are we on? I have no idea. If we ever land exactly precisely on 10 takeaways, <laughs> Imagine? I can't. Important takeaway from the uh, San Francisco 49ers game. Debo Samuel, not an alpha in San Francisco. And I repeat, Debo Samuel, not an alpha. I repeat, Debo. Wait, we can do this here. I repeat, Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, not, not an alpha. Debo Samuel, not an alpha. I repeat, I repeat, Debo Samuel, not an alpha. They look similar. Right? These are both traditional flanker style wide receivers. Right, Coming out of college, similar profiles, produced huge numbers as seniors. Ayuk on Sunday, seven targets, six receptions, 115 yards. Samuel, six targets, five receptions, 65 yards. Similar lines, similar box scores. But now we take the sunglasses off and we look beyond the box score at the stats that the Roto Underworld team are compiling for playerprofiler.com. Brandon Ayuk air yards. 105. Debo Samuel, negative 10. Most of his targets were well behind the line of scrimmage. He is exclusively operating as a screen game wide receiver. And that's not an alpha. That's not an, and that's not a, to be an alpha, you have to operate down the field and be able to win in all quadrants. And that's not what's happening, right? I mean, maybe he can, but he's not being used as such. And if they're similar players, and Brandon Ayuk is proving that he can operate as a number one on the outside and be trusted by a Super Bowl contending franchise, then you just have to come to Jesus and say, hey, Ayuk's the guy. Ayuk's the alpha. It's not Samuel. Sunglasses going back on. So we know James Robinson for real. Brandon Ayuk for real. Ayukin! Ayukin! Ryu. Jair Alexander, oh, for real, baby. He is so for real. One of the best cornerbacks in the game. Runs a 4-3-8, super 
super duper athletic. And he just erased Will Fuller, just snuffed him right out. Every time Will Fuller was lined up on the outside against Alexander, nothing. They had to move Fuller inside against a safety, against a safety for him to even get a catch. And then Fuller picks up this garbage time touchdown on the final play. Alexander just let him go. Alexander lined up across from him, and then they just fell back into a prevent zone. Fuller wide open touchdown, big deal. Right, A garbage time touchdown saved his day after Alexander erased him. And this is why we have the Plays of the Week show. We talked about why Brandon Cooks was a stronger play this week at cost than Will Fuller. And the reason was Jair Alexander. The Plays of the Week show is a must listen. It's on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather. Go there and subscribe and you get a free show every week. Now, I should go to this Plays of the Week email and pull this up because the Plays of the Week email was particularly prescient this week. I mean, I can't, I, I couldn't believe it. I was looking at the scores and the performances and talking about them with my friends. And I just couldn't, I could not believe it, man. I couldn't believe how prescient these Plays of the Week were. QB Cash, Kyler Murray. QB GPP, Justin Herbert. RB Lock Button, Kareem Hunt. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. GPP fade, Kenyon Drake, right? I mean, what? How is this possible? Wide receiver lock button, Terry McLaurin. Wide receiver cash, Deontay Johnson. I mean, it doesn't... How do you get better than this? Bad shock, DK Metcalf. So the GPP fades were Metcalf and Drake. Let's read, let's read the Metcalf description. Arizona's pass defense has greatly improved, and Patrick Peterson and Buda Baker are uniquely qualified to box out Metcalf this week. Use his ballooned 7.2K salary to move up to more proven studs with better cornerback matchups, Hopkins, Adams, and Julio. How do you stop this? How do you stop this machine that is the Podfather just pollinating the world with the best, most in-depth fantasy knowledge that you can't get anywhere else. Subscribers to Patreon and to playerprofiler.com, the rankings, the lineup genius, the data analysis. You subscribe on playerprofiler.com or you are a member of the Podfather's Patreon. You get this email. You get all the answers to the test, man. Woo! What a week. My wife caught me smiling. I was just washing a coffee pot and she I had the smile on my face. She said, what are you smiling at? You know, and your wife, she said, what are you smiling at? She's like, totally out of context. You shouldn't be smiling. Why are you smiling? Why fuck are you smiling? What's so fucking funny? And I looked over at her and I said, told you so weak. It's a told you so weak on Roto Underworld Radio. It's everywhere. Nate and I even spent four and a half minutes this summer talking about, of all players, the undrafted Marquez Calloway. I mean, can you believe it? Marquez Calloway. I mean, right? It's just, it doesn't get, you can't. You can't draw it up. 78% snap share, 94% route participation rate. They moved him into the slot. They moved him all around. 10 targets, more than 15 fantasy points. And then his salary heading into week eight on DraftKings, only 3.4K. We don't know. The status of Emmanuel Sanders. I know he's quarantining. We'll see. Michael Thomas, how serious is this hamstring injury? We're not sure, 
right? So Michael Thomas, not sure. Emmanuel Sanders, not sure. I am sure that Marquez Callaway, like Brandon Ayuk in San Francisco, is stealing Traquan Smith's mojo, just like Brandon Ayuk is stealing Debo Samuel's mojo. I thought that the backup alpha that you would want to make sure you have rostered in Dynasty in New Orleans, something happens to Michael Thomas, it's the Traquan Smith show, right? He's going to be the new X. Wrong. It's Marquez Callaway, baby. Callaway's the alpha now, not Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith shows up to the dining room and there's, there's Callaway just eating. He's like, what, what, what are you eating? Wait, that's, that, that was my lunch. Wait, what? Why are you eating my lunch? Callaway doesn't say a thing. Shrugs his shoulders and keeps on eating. And you know that we had a good week when the Plays of the Week email is super prescient with both the, the best plays and the best fades and they all line up. Well, it doesn't always line up in the lineup genius, right? You could be overweight on Adams and overweight on Lockett and you just don't have interlocking lineups. You don't have any Adams and Lockett. You can have a lot of Bernard and a lot of Jamal Williams. You just don't have Jamal Williams and Bernard and Hopkins and Adams. You you don't have them all to get. You just don't have that all exactly built to win a million dollars. And that's part of the fun of it. That's part of the sweat. I was sweating last night watching Kyler Murray just continue to pile up fantasy points. And we were a Christian Kirk touchdown reception at the end of that game away from thousands and thousands of dollars. And I was like, no, it was fun. It's fun to sweat, man. We had some lineups blast past 200 points on DraftKings. That's fun. That's what we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep just hammering away. And eventually we're going to have the lineup that has OBJ and Mixon, right? Eventually, eventually. So taking stock of the, the lineups, the best lineup, which I'll say for last, featured Kyler Murray. But we also had a Deshaun Watson lineup with Kamara and David Johnson. That had Devontae Adams with Brandon Cooks. No Will Fuller. Instead of Will Fuller, Deontay Johnson and Antonio Gibson. So we that one came right up to 200 points. However, my favorite lineup and the lineup that we touted most vigorously on the PropCast and in the Plays of the Week email was the following. Now, this lineup only reached 176 points, and you'll see why, but it had the most potential, and it had the most potential to actually win a million dollars. It was Herbert, Kamara, James Robinson, Keenan Allen, DJ Moore, Mike Williams, Hawkinson, Chenault, Saints defense. Saints, one point. Mike Williams, 1.4 points. And you take two plays with one and 1.4 points, you're not going to make money with that lineup. It's just not going to happen. It's not It's not going to happen. But it was so close because Herbert was the play. Because Herbert was lower owned than Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. We knew everyone was wanting to play those two quarterbacks on top, get exposure to that shootout, and it, sh- it shot out. It shot out. But even though our Russ lineups and our Kyler lineups perform better than our Herbert lineups and our Burrow lineups... When you look back at the process, the Burrow process was better. The Herbert process was better. So we had lineups with Burrow, but the problem was also had Beckham. So we had Burrow with Hunt and Swift and Boyd and Higgins, but also had 
Beckham and Chris Carson, and they both went out with injury. So that's not your fault, right? DFS players, it's not your fault. You lose two players to injury, and they post a combined 5.1 fantasy points between Beckham and Carson. That's not your fault. That's not your fault. You saw what Carlos Hyde was doing. Imagine if that were Chris Carson. It's heartbreaking. You saw Baker Mayfield, four touchdowns. Some of those would have gone to Beckham. Like One went to Donovan Peoples-Jones. That would have been Beckham with Herbert. He threw a touchdown to Parnum, another touchdown to another backup tight end. So two backup tight ends. So we weren't even playing all Henry with Herbert. We had a lineup with Hawkinson, which is, hey, hey, you did it, right? But the difference is all the Russell Wilson touchdowns went to Tyler Lockett. So you played Lockett with Wilson, you get maximum correlation, and that lineup is poised to exceed expectations, and you're in it. You're in it. You're a contender with Russ and Lockett. However, process-wise, it was better to go Herbert and Keenan Allen because the ownership was less, and yet Keenan Allen was used just as much, if not more, than Tyler Lockett. It's just that he didn't get the touchdowns, right? There was an end zone target to Will Disley that went incomplete, right? Some of the targets to these backup tight ends could have been complete, and those touchdowns, would have crowded out Lockett touchdowns. But that's not what happened. When we replay the hand, the touchdowns went to Lockett. And that puts everyone at a disadvantage when the chalk hits that hard, right? You'd rather the chalk not hit as hard where you have a touchdown to Olsen, right? You have a touchdown to Disley, touchdown to David Moore, because that's what we had in this Chargers game. We had a touchdown to Virgil Green, a touchdown to Guyton, a touchdown to Parnum, right? If Keenan Allen had scored three touchdowns, it would have been so on because we ran it back with James Robinson. We strategically run back games assuming a variety of game flows. So we had one run back with Shark. That clearly flamed out because that we were thinking, okay, it's going to be a shootout and it's going to be Minshew through the air. Then we have another scenario where actually... The Jaguars are competitive. They're running a lot of James Robinson. He's scoring multiple touchdowns. And then Herbert has to be a hero. Well, that was the other scenario. And that's the scenario that hit. It hit hard, except Mike Williams didn't get any of these touchdowns. It wasn't used hardly at all. And Keenan Allen's getting 15 targets and no touchdowns. Meanwhile, Lockett, three touchdowns. What are you going to do? You want to bet on the 400-yard quarterback who's also rushing for a touchdown in a Burrow, in a Herbert, at lower ownership than a Russell Wilson and a Tyler Lockett at high ownership. Why is that? Because the combination of lineups you're competing against is so much wider and the various combinations that you would have to overcome with your Kyler Murray lineups and Russell Wilson lineups, the mountain is so great. So you could see it happening in real time last night where if you played... This Kyler Murray lineup, Murray, Kamara, Jamal Williams, Tyler Lockett, McLaurin, Kirk, Hawkinson, Chase Edmonds, Buccaneers defense. You're thinking, oh my God, oh my God, Edmonds is in there. It's going to overtime. We just get a touchdown to Kirk. We might win a million dollars, right? Well, well, the problem is you're competing against so many people who wanted to play Kyler Murray. You have guys that wanted to jam in both Hopkins and Adams, 
with Kirk and Lockett, right? And they moved all the way down and they played Antonio Gibson. They played Gio Bernard. They played Jamal Williams. And so you're at a disadvantage if you're playing Alvin Kamara instead of Devontae Adams. There's a lot more of those kinds of combinations out there with various defenses and different tight ends. So you're going to run into a guy that played the best possible defense with the best possible tight end and paid way up at wide receiver beyond what most normal players would ever think to do. But the lineups you'd be competing against had it been Herbert and Burrow with the highest point production paired with their number one receivers, whether it be Higgins, whether it be Keenan Allen, then you're going against far fewer QB wide receiver correlated lineups, and you may not run into the best possible defense tight end combination. So that's why it was heartbreaking to see all these players hit and yet couldn't really move up because as you're moving up, your competitors are moving up. The only way that that lineup would have made more money had, well, first of all, had Christian Kirk caught that touchdown. Wow. But had that screen to Edmonds or a handoff to Edmonds gone for a touchdown, because then that's six points on the board almost nobody has. And that was why you see some funny plays. You're always going to see funny plays when we're playing the chalk quarterback wide receiver stack. That's why you saw, oh, Edmonds was perfect. Right, You can play Jamal Williams, because you can also stack Edmonds with Murray and hope for a touchdown in the screen game. And you saw it last night, that was a lot more likely than you might have thought when you were making that lineup. Saw with a Russell Wilson lineup, we played Zach Moss. Same principle. Play Zach Moss with the Bills defense. Not many that are playing Wilson are also playing Moss Bills defense. Right. So if you're going to play super ultra chalk quarterbacks with their respective wide receivers with the natural run back. Like you see, there's a lineup here, Wilson, Metcalf, Lockett with Hopkins. And that lineup scored 200 points, right? It's just Metcalf 4.3. It's over, right? The process is sound. The games are fun. You love to sweat it out. And one of these weeks, man, one of these weeks, we're going to interlock it. I know we're going to interlock it. I know one of these weeks it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you'll notice the key is to play Konami QBs at value. And that was Herbert, right? That was Burrow. That's why I believe those guys are the best process because they're not only giving you 350 plus passing yards with three touchdowns, they're also giving you the rushing score. And that's how you get to a 40 point outburst from your quarterback on DraftKings, and then that's the answer. That's the the way to win against a Kyler Murray and against a Russell Wilson. You also have to hope that those guys don't quite reach the level that you're getting, the fantasy point output level you're getting from a Burrow or from a Herbert, and, and that's unlikely, right? Going into the week, you're playing funky lineups with Murray and Russell Wilson and some more prototypical smash lineups with Herbert and Burrow, knowing that you're an underdog. Every week you're an underdog. You're going up against hundreds of thousands of lineups. You're an underdog. This is what you have to do if you want to be the best out of hundreds of thousands. Burrow, 406 yards with three touchdowns and 34 rushing yards with a touchdown. That was what we needed. Similar line from Herbert. 
That's why you're seeing us prioritize those lineups. And we're always de-emphasizing the Drew Brees lineups, the Stafford lineups, these pocket passers. Unless it's in a situation where you have two elite wide receivers against one of the worst secondaries, like you saw with Matt Ryan, that was an exception. And he goes well over 400 yards, and the touchdowns go to Gurley. So Ryan wasn't the answer this week, but that is very much the exception, where you see week in, week out, there's Herbert, there's Burrow, there's Deshaun Watson, there's Kyler Murray, there's Russell Wilson. Because you get that bonus touchdown rushing, which is worth 150% that of a passing touchdown, plus the rushing yards. So if you get 40 yards rushing from a quarterback, that's a passing touchdown. And then a rushing touchdown is a passing touchdown and a half. That's an additional two and a half passing touchdowns. There's no way a pocket passer like Matt Ryan can compete with the Konami QBs. And there's no lineup generation engine in all of fantasy football that can compete with our DFS lineup genius. And we were successful in cash this week, primarily because Deontay Johnson. And you'll note in the email, what do we say about Deontay Johnson? Deontay Johnson was a cash lock. Why? Just say no to fantasy PTSD. Keep playing Deontay Johnson in cash games at just 4.2K on DraftKings. He's practicing fully, and he's back to his 10 target per game form. That was the advice from the Plays of the Week email. The most important thing is just say no to fantasy PTSD. That is another of the many observations. We've had way more than 10. I don't know. What are we on? Observation 17, 18. I know the number one observation is the Podfather's a genius. Player profiler is one of, if not the best fantasy resource ever conceived. That's That's observation 18. How do we forget that? Podfather is the best at all of this, right? Dynasty, seasonal. Best ball, DFS. No one does it all at such a high level like the Podfather. And you know it. You know it. And everybody knows it. Every fantasy analyst knows it. I'm the fucking man. That's what. And by saying no to fantasy PTSD, it means playing particular players that we know to be good that have disappointed us. And that was Deontay Johnson, I think, heading in to week eight and week eight and beyond. It looks like Jeff Wilson's leg injury is serious. We just need to keep playing Jarek McKinnon. San Francisco faces Seattle in week eight. No Tevin Coleman. Probably. He could be back, but Tevin Coleman is unlikely. Raheem Mostert on IR. Jeff Wilson, serious leg injury. And Kyle Shanahan reported that they planned to rest McKinnon all along because they had never planned to use him as much through seven weeks as they already had. So they're they're being mindful of the wear and tear on the tread of this McKinnon sports car tire. And that makes sense, especially when you're playing New England easy win against New England. I said, oh, easy win? What what about Belichick? Oh, what about Belichick? Easy win. That was a road game for the 49ers. That was in New England. What do you mean easy win? How how could you have known it's going to be an easy win? 
because Kyle Shanahan watches the tape. Kyle Shanahan has the advanced stats. He knows the Patriots aren't very good without Tom Brady. And it's one of the singular mantras that you've heard on Roto Underworld Radio for the last five years. One of my hobby horse topics is debunking the coach worship, right? This year, Bill Belichick without Tom Brady, two and four, a negative 28 point differential. So they're allowing 28 more points than they're scoring with Cam Newton at quarterback doing it all. And their overall team efficiency is trending negative. Now, negative 5.2 overall team DVOA for the New England Patriots. Meanwhile, Tom Brady has a winning record. Team has one of the best DVOAs in the sport. So you tell me. You tell me who was the reason for all the winning in New England. Was it Bill Belichick or was it Tom Brady? Oh, it's a false choice. It's both. It's not both. It's a little bit of Belichick. Yes, Bill Belichick, great game plan against the Rams. Absolutely, utterly obliterated Sean McVay in that Super Bowl. Outcoached McVay, outcoached Shanahan himself. So Bill Belichick is a reason. He's a reason. But what Bill Belichick does week in, week out with the game planning and the in-game strategy matters on the margins. What the driving force behind the winning in New England was not Bill Belichick. It was absolutely and 100%. And by 100%, I mean not quite 100%. It was some Belichick, but mostly close to 100%. Pretty much 100%, but not quite. The reason for the winning in New England. Tom Brady. Podfather is the best at all of this.